All right. Uh, welcome to the Swedish Junior Hockey Podcast. My name is Jacob Dahlin, your host. And uh, today's guest, uh, this is going to be educational, Mike Bloom with uh, the North American Hockey League uh, uh, Lone Star Brahmas. Welcome, Mike. Thanks, Jacob. This episode is brought to you by Scandlux, your home for Scandinavian luxury products for the U.S. market. You can find us at scandlux.com. How's your morning going? Uh, so I'm um, um, two thirds through my big cup of coffee, so I'm ready to go. Uh, <laughs> I, I prepared today with some uh, some notes here in on my on my other screens. So I'll be be looking at it today. We won't be looking too much at elite prospects. We won't be looking too much on LinkedIn. What I wanted to talk about today is really for the mainly the Swedish audience and European players that are looking to come and play college and also tier two hockey, specifically in the North American Hockey League. But really, it applies. What we're going to talk about is going to apply to really any junior league, but we really want to hone in on on where you work, which is in, in the NAL. So with that said, like, g- give me a little bit of background of who, who you are and your current position there with the, with the Brahmas. Yeah. So again, Mike Bloom, uh, I'm the director of player personnel for Lone Star. Grew up originally in Detroit, as you can see from my background here, but <laughs> currently live in Chicago. Um, aside from the scouting and the the uh, player personnel I do for the North American League, I also coach two local Chicago teams here, U16 and U18. So not only am I uh, in the process of trying to acquire you know good talent for the Lone Star Brahmas, I'm also trying to develop it and push it up through the the different junior ranks. Uh, my players primarily are going to go into a tier three, like an NA three and develop from there to get to the, the North American league. Um, but, you know, we'll talk about the different ladders and how these different players get to different places and whatnot. I've been with Lone Star for, this is going to be my sixth season. Uh, started off as just a regional scout and kind of worked my way up um, by, you know, having a good eye for talent, you know, work ethic, things like that to the point now where I'm not only, uh, you know, looking for different players and things like that. That's kind of my my bread and butter to try to find the best next Brahma. But, uh, you know, managing the different scouts that we have regionally um, alongside, you know, one of my, uh, you know, partners in crime, uh, Jeff Colson, who does a great job with us as well. We kind of, uh, you know, scour the different nation for, you know, top talent, but we're working more with our regional scouts to kind of bubble those players up. Then we'll set up different calls with the family and the players to find out what they're looking to do and if they might be a fit for us. And then obviously we'll talk to their coaches and whatnot. So that's kind of what we do in our role. And then, you know, obviously uh, the next step is getting them onto the roster and, and watching them excel. Yeah. So uh, if we talk about the Brahmas, are the, are you guys with, with that team? So how many teams are in the null? I know there's been two new teams coming in with Colorado and Rochester that's coming in for, I guess, next season, right? Yeah, they both should start next season. Um, I haven't heard of any teams falling out. So we're right around 30, 32 teams at this point, depending on how you want to slice it. So it's a it's a league that's constantly growing. There's been a couple teams that have been added, you know, within the last five years. There's been a team or two that have relocated and things like that. So the 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 league itself is definitely growing. So there's just more opportunity on the way. And how many divisions is there? Is there north, south, east, west now? Or is it just yeah. Yeah. South, south, east, and west. 
Yeah, there's like a central that uh, will have some of like the Illinois teams and and you know Minnesota and things like that, and then they'll have the the South Division is pretty much the furthest west you're going to go. There isn't a West Division, but there's Western teams that are comprised of that South Division, and then you obviously have all the Northeast teams that uh, are in their own division too. Yeah, and I think for those who want to look more, just go to Lead Prospects, put in NAHL, and you'll see all the different teams, and then you can click on that team and see the rosters, and you can go to their websites and so on as well. How do you, your team, from an organization standpoint, because I know you also has an NA3 team, uh, which is called uh, Texas? Texas Junior Brahmas. Texas Junior Brahmas. Uh, which is an affiliate uh, affiliate. Is that what do you guys call it an affiliate same ownership? Um, so I mean, they definitely are affiliate. I'm not sure the terminology because sometimes you'll have a team that doesn't have same ownership might be in uh, like a completely different location in the country, but they have an affiliate program that they kind of are working hand in hand with. Ours is set up a little bit more uh, unique in the terms of there's not as many teams that have, an ownership group that has both the North American league team and also the three HL team. And they're in the same building. Um, you know, for the most part, it's the same staff because they're working hand in hand together, but there is an actual staff for the NA team and an actual staff for the NA three team with some crossover between our associate head coach, Ryan Anderson, who's, you know, helping out with the NA three team and the different coaching staff and also works kind of as like an, a GM for that team. Um, so the nice part is, is there's an easy flow between that team and the NA and vice versa. If we're pulling kids up or, you know, sending them back down, bringing them out to practices because their practice schedules are basically back to back. The NA team yeah. goes during the day. The NA three team comes right after in the uh, afternoon time. So these you know, the, the NA coaches can see those guys practicing on the NA three and may, you know, may have a couple injuries and say, okay, we need to, you know, call so-and-so up because, you know, they're working hard in practice and they're getting good feedback from the coach and they can see what they need to see that could translate into to calling them up. And you're in North Rich Richland Hills, right? Correct. So for those in Sweden who don't know where North Richland Hills is, it's, it's it's outside of Fort Worth and Dallas area, right? Yep. There's two airports there you can fly into. It's about, you know, 15 minutes from the Fort Worth airport. Um, and then the the Dallas airport's probably about 25 minutes away with, with traffic. So it's easy to get in and out of. Um, it's also a great area for people who haven't been to the Dallas area before just to kind of check out. There's so many different things you can see and some historical, you know, landmarks and, and different things that, uh, you know, people can take advantage of. It's a great spot for us to to kind of talk to players about coming to play for us because number one, the weather, you know, when you look at where all these other junior teams are located, they're usually a little bit further north and in cold weather states. And uh, sometimes they're in the middle of nowhere towns. And uh, that's a different experience than being in a large metropolitan area that's got you know, golf courses all over the place. There's college campuses all over the place. You know, our guys aren't far from TCU who just, you know, went to the uh, college football national championship. So they would go out to some of those games and kind of be a part of that whole uh, team just because it's so close. But then you also have the four major sports, the Dallas Cowboys, the Dallas Stars, like all these different things that they can do in their off time. So that yeah. is an advantage for us for sure. 
So are most of the organizations in the NAL, do they have a player development director of player personnel and, 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 and that oversees their accounting staff, uh, their scouting staff, or is that sometimes handled by the GM or how does that work? Yeah, I think mostly it is handled by the GM. There are different programs that are set up a little bit more like us where there's like different roles and things like that. But uh, for the most part, most of that responsibility will go to the the head coach and GM and then their assistant coach is usually more of like the quasi uh, director of player personnel that's working on trying to acquire the next best talent and the GM you know, the head coach and GM is looking for other players across the league and kind of making the trades that they want to do and things like that. That's, I would say the majority are set up in that way, just because there's not, you know, these ownership groups are not billionaires that own these teams. So to have a large staff and be able to financially pay for that is not always uh, an option. Yeah. All right. So let's pretend now uh, you're recruiting well, let's not pretend. I know you are <laughs> recruiting, <laughs> recruiting players for for next next season. The time period of the calendar. So right now, uh, when we're recording this, it's January twentieth. For those, you know, this will be released a few weeks later. But but um, we're in the end of January. The time of year. When do you? I know you're always looking and you're always developing and you're looking at. Which which birth year specifically are you guys looking at? And I know it's a little bit different if you're an A3 team versus a USHL or an NAT, I mean, North American Hockey League team. But for you guys in the NAL, what birth year are you guys looking at primarily for next year? So if we look at the midget level, we're going to primarily scout the U18 AAA players or they're playing prep school and 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 things like that, or they may be playing juniors elsewhere. The reason why when we're recruiting for players, we're not also looking at maybe the 16s and the 15s that are playing AAA is because the best of those players typically are going to be USHL players. And whoever, you know, gets drafted or or whatever from the USHL at 15, a lot of the best players will already go into the USHL. And then as they move into 16, some of those kids that were USHL players remain at midget and play their 16 year before then they make the jump. So a lot of times we don't really see how the dust settles until they get to U18. And then from U18, that's where we're going to find the best of the best players in that group. Uh, Cause only really a, a small portion of U18s will, will still then make the jump to the USHL. Primarily those best players though have already moved on. So now we have a good sample size of like who are null players and who we should be looking at. So for this year, the U18 players in the U.S., because I think this is because it's a little bit different for the Swedish audience. For this year, that's going to be the 05 and 04 birth year that uh, the 04s are aging out of U18s and they're going to be looking at juniors primarily, unless you're a top dog that, you know, or, or I guess if you're in the Minnesota, you could do an overage year or something. Yeah, the prep schools, you can do a fifth year, that overage year. year and things like that. So yeah. you're, you're right. The U18 level is uh, 04s and 05s. Um, the, the oldest player in junior hockey right now is an 02. So yeah. once they advance out, uh, the 03s will become the oldest of junior hockey next year. 
So if I'm looking at your roster, I said I wasn't going to pull up Elite Prospect, <laughs> and I went straight to it. So your 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 roster currently. So if I'm pulling up, and this is as of it is right now, you have an O2, an O3, and an O4 goalie, right? Yep. So the O2 is going to age out. So you're going to be looking for an O. If this trend holds on, I can see how it works, Mike. I'm yep. I'm, a, I'm a good student. Yeah, you're going to be looking for an O5 goalie. Yes. Um, yeah. Or, or at least a goalie that, because um, in many cases, the goalies we bring in are older. And, and the reason why we do that is because, you know, they're, they're used to seeing shots of their own age. And if they're the oldest player in, in uh, junior hockey, they're going to see at least their own age and younger. And so goalies are weird. Well, that's true, but we don't <laughs> have, a, that's a whole new podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. So the O2s are aging out and, and, but you know, that there's, there can be O5s that are playing already in the North American hockey league, but it's, but typically you're not going to see the O5s this year. You're going to see the O5s coming in, in this upcoming season. So if you're an, if you're an O5, uh, you could still play another year of, of U18s in the U S or you can go straight into North American hockey league if you're good enough. Correct. But you're then going to be playing with men, so to speak, that are O3s, and it's a big difference. Correct. And and just so your audience is aware, too, that within the different divisions in the North American Hockey League, there's different nuances to the division. So the division we play in is the, the South. The South is historically a bigger, older, more physical you know, the, the, the coaches have primarily been there for a long period of time. Our coach, Dan Wildfong's got over 500 wins in the league. And, and, you know, there's other coaches that are on his tail in the same division. So to have a younger player in, in our division is not necessarily always the best development route for that player. Either they're not going to play as much or because they're really playing against men, they're not going to get them as much ice time or have the success when they have ice time than than maybe playing in a different division within the league. Yeah, so I think that that's a, a, a you know, if we were looking at it on the roster, there's mainly O2s and O3s on your forward roster. On the on the D roster, same thing. There's one, two O4s. That's it. And, and, uh, and so on. All right, eligibility. So the Swedish junior player that is an O3, uh, this year uh, is aging out of J20. So this is what I want to hone in on because I think this is going to be the majority of the case of the Swedish player. I'm a Swedish player. I just I just finished high school or academy or gymnasium, which is going to be, you know, this year it's the 06, 05, and 04 players are in the gymnasium. If I'm an 03, three player this year i'm already finished with school i'm playing my last year of j20 i'm probably going to play j20 national or j20 region depending on which club you're in and i'm now looking at do i play because i'm aging out so i'm going to have to play adult hockey semi-pro and if i got a deal in the shl i'm probably going to be drafted that's right. the equivalent of your guys that you're talking about is there's going to play in the USHL. Right. Those guys are not going to be on your radar right away because they're going to get their shots and, and, and they're not going to be interested in the North American hockey league as a, as a, as a primary thing. But 
I didn't, I'm not on the draft board. I'm not my, my advisor or my agent isn't, is telling me I'm, I don't have a SHL or Alsvenskan second division. I don't have a deal for you. So what I'm looking for for you is Hockey Etan, which is the third division or division one or division two, fourth division. That's what we're looking for. There's no money in that, mm-hmm. right? So this is where it becomes attractive for that 20-year-old or 03, 19-year-old turning 20 to say, maybe I should go and play college in the U.S. Right. So why would someone be interested in playing college instead of lower-level pros in, in Sweden? Yeah, it's a good question. I think you'd have to probably ask the the players on what their motivation is. But, you know, obviously you're extending your hockey career. The U.S. college route has now, you know, I would say over the last 10 years, but primarily over the last five years, has really started developing NHL talent and pushing them up to the NHL levels or to pro hockey. And in the past they did, but they were more of the drafted players. Now you're seeing a lot of college free agents that just develop because they're continuing to play and they're playing at a high level. And these college programs have everything they could ever want off the ice. And then they have really good coaching on the ice. So a lot of these kids are not only extending their careers, but they're creating uh, a pro lifestyle for themselves by coming over. So is that only the Boston college and the Notre Dames and the Michigan's the D one programs, or what's it like, which we should probably talk about at a different time, but what's it like at the D three level? Yeah. How did they run uh, their programs in comparison to the D ones? So it is different um, even from the scholarships and what they're able to provide is different. Um, you know, when it's a division three NCAA school, it's going to be a small college. So you're not going to find most of them are going to be maybe 10,000 or less total kids. Um, So you're getting a different environment. It's usually a a little bit of a smaller town where that campus is, but still great experiences. And the one thing that you find at some of those division three schools is the majority of the kids that make up that student body are athletes, whether it's hockey, baseball, you know, whatever else it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whatever their big sports are at that particular university. um, A lot of those kids that go to the school are all athletes and, and you know how it is being around athletes, like, you know, the different types of personalities, even though it's a different sport than uh, you know, some of the normal student body. So they, they end up really enjoying that whole experience And for the most part, some of these D3 schools uh, are very good academically. And the connection to like what you're going to move into with your career is really strong. So, you know, it's not only you're going there from the hockey aspect, but what you're going to get out of it after is what a lot, you know, what attracts a lot of kids to go that route. So, all right. You want to go to college. And of course, it's tough for the j20 player to now get straight into college because they don't know anything about you right so the reason why i wanted to have have you on that's a long way winded introduction to say we can take it from the horse's mouth here by saying if you want to play in college most likely they're going to pick you out of juniors and not directly from the from from sweden yeah correct because they're going to get more of a sample size seeing you play 
in you know juniors, whether it's in the United States or if it's in Canada or wherever you chose you you chose to go. But that's where they live and breathe, and and that's where they have a lot of their personal relationships with coaches to know like what they're really getting. Um, not to say that they don't have connections out in Sweden, but it's always difficult, even for myself, who's trying to identify players because we want to bring Swedish players over for our team. We've had a ton of success in the in the past with Swedish players, but we can't watch all of the different Swedish leagues play because we don't know who of those guys are even interested to come over to the United States. So we'd be really spinning our wheels watching a lot of that hockey only to find out you know, none of the kids we watched are even interested uh, in coming over. So it's similar to the the colleges. You know, they don't know of all the different Swedish players playing out there who would actually be interested in coming to the United States to go to college and whatnot. But obviously, if you make the trek over and you're playing junior hockey in the United States or Canada, you're doing that because you want to go to an American college and and that makes it easier for them to identify and watch and have those discussions and things like that because you're already here. All right, so let's debunk the myth, or the maybe not the myth, but but the. I want to make sure people understand that just because you got a a a LinkedIn, I mean not a LinkedIn, Elite Prospects profile, and your games are on Swedish Hockey TV doesn't mean that anybody's going to know anything about you. That is correct. Right. That's correct. And that does. So, but okay. You have scouts that work that may be concentrating on the European players, but they're not going to know about you either. Right. Because there's a thousand players over there and, and they, they're, they're just not going to be able to look at that. So what should that 19 year old J 20 player 03 or 02 or 04 birth year. If you're an 02, you're aged out. So you're going to say, sorry, pal, I don't care how good you are. Right. Yeah. Uh, but if you're an 03 and 04 and 05, you know, you're, you may be a candidate to play in the North American Hockey League or 06, you know, if you yeah. want to start early. So what should they do to rise above? the rest of them to get noticed. What are the top three things that you would do? Well, number one, beyond being a good player. (laughs) Yeah. You got, you gotta have the talent, the talent you have to have, right. That's a non-negotiable, but you know, I think, you know, you do a great job for your audience to kind of show them how to use elite prospects. Just having one isn't the only thing that you can do, but it's really important for these players to start researching the different junior leagues. So they have a better understanding of, am I at the ability of a USHL program or am I at the of the ability level of a null program? Well, I'm, then, I'm playing in the NHL, Mike. <laughs> maybe, maybe at one time, you know, at, at some point down the road, but it, it is important to kind of understand where your ability level is. And sometimes you can track that by other players around your birth your your birth year that have come over and you can say okay I'm not quite as good as this player who's in the USHL maybe I kind of am in in this range or maybe this player that was on my was in from my program three years ago he went over and he played in the null I'm further along than he is maybe I do have a shot at the USHL and then once you do that start reaching out to those different programs their head coaches their GMs you know different people on their 
uh, scouting staff and just introduce yourself to them, explain to them that they're interested in coming over and playing American juniors. So what, so, all right, that's a great, great advice. They want to introduce themselves. What's the best way? I would say by email, you know, everyone, if you go to that team site, they're going to have a list for their staff. They're going to have their different staff listed. And if it's the only contact information listed as the head coach, email the head coach, let them, let them know. So, so what, what, how do you, how do you best, should I go ahead and, and, and put in that link? Here's my one hour video and, (laughs) And my genealogy tree, what should I focus on? (laughs) I would, uh, I wouldn't put an hour video, but if that's all you had, I would definitely link it still. And I would just write a quick bio on yourself. And it doesn't have to be like a resume, but just here's who I am and here's what I'm looking to do. So we have a better idea that, yes, this player does want to come over, play junior hockey. He's looking to, you know, get a, a, a college scholarship out of it. And here's where he played. Here's his elite prospects link. So I would always link to elite prospects. If you have any YouTube or any clips you've you've put together on your play, definitely add that to the email. And then you can send it off. You could send one email to one organization and then go to another organization and send one email or quite honestly, you could just carbon copy or blind copy all the different uh, contacts and send one. And it's going to do the job because even if, like I said, in the example, you only are sending it to the head coach, what's he going to do? He's going to then blast it out to all his different scouts, to his assistant coach and say, hey, take a look at this guy and let me know what you think. And then we're all going to watch it. So even if it's an hour long, at some point, we're going to watch enough to where we can decide okay, this is a guy we need to really start talking to because uh, he's got the ability and we we want to, you know, see what is underneath the video that we saw and see if this is something we want to do. So what are some what are some things that are negative? Let's let's point out the negatives that that you often see are like. I, 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 I see these things too often and I'm like. No. <laughs> side swipe. I can't remember what that thing is, but side swipe right or side swipe left. You know, yeah. I see it, but unfortunately it's not for me. Well, in that case, the only time we would ever like, nope, not for me, is if what we're watching, the player doesn't have the ability that we need. That's pretty much the only like, you know, knockout that they could have. Which would be what? You know, you're watching the level of play and you can tell the way the players are moving, you know, maybe some of the structure in it. Maybe this player is really good, but the the competition that they're playing against is not. So they look great. Um, You can you can you know, when you've done this as long as I have and some of the other people, I could watch probably 30 seconds of a video and I could see enough to know if this player moves and has the twitch of a player in our league. And in some cases I'll look at it and be like, Whoa, this kid is a stud. He's going, (laughs) he's not in our league. He's going up. You know what I mean? But you can see that right away. The, the biggest error that people have is when they put highlight tapes together and the only thing they're showing is them going through the whole team and scoring. And, you know, I went bar down and like the only thing you're seeing is, you know, five seconds of the best thing that they did, which was score a goal. Like 
sometimes just seeing you, you know, back checking, playing your position, you know, finishing a check, you know, setting up a teammate, like those are things we need to see. So in that case, it's not a swipe right, like, or left, whatever the knockout is. Um, it's more, okay, now when we start a dialogue with this player, we need to see more. So send us something else we can watch that isn't just your highlight, but we saw enough that now we're talking to you. So um, does most of you, your program, did they subscribe to Swedish Hockey TV or you don't even, they don't even have that? I don't believe anyone has that. I know I don't personally, none of our regional scouts do. Um, so we so, primarily use Instat, which will have the ability to kind of pull some of those games in for us and we can watch player shifts or we can watch the whole, you know, game in some cases. And then we'll have live barn. We'll have, which is more common in yeah. the U S and we'll have hockey TV and, and those types of platforms for us to watch. But so I think the key there is going to be, so if you wet the appetite and now you want to, you say, I want more, right. Then you may want to say, here's two or three full games. Right. That, you know, don't pick a bad one, <laughs> but pick a good game that you, you know, and then you can see, cause you're going to want to see the entirety of that game perhaps. Right. Yeah. And, it, and when you say, don't pick a bad one, even if your team loses eight zip, but what you were doing within the game shows enough about what we need you to be able to do. That's still good. If yeah, yeah, you yeah. were just horrible that day because you didn't get enough sleep or whatever the case may be. I wouldn't send that one. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. Last part that I want to that, that I want to talk about um, is the reality. So now you have you've got you, you've got someone here that is interested. But you guys talk about so a little plug for for the junior hockey advisor discussion page and the, and the and the YouTube and and Facebook. Uh, discussions that you and and Jeff Colson have you guys recently talked about or maybe it was when I was a guest there and there and, the, and Jeff said what's the first thing when you get an email that you look at from an international player I don't know if you recall that conversation but the first thing yeah. you said was well where's he coming from correct and if we're like scouting you know we do our due diligence in the Canadian junior leagues and you know for for your audience like there's different rules on how many imports you can have on your roster. So for the North American league, we can only have four imports. So that's Canada's considered an import, you know, Sweden, obviously Finland, you know, literally anywhere, Latvia, anywhere outside of the United States, those players are considered imports and we can only have four. So if I'm going to scout an American or I'm going to scout a Canadian junior league, the first thing I'm going to look at is I'm going to pull up the roster on elite prospects. And let's just say I'm watching a team in the uh, BC league. I'm going to look to see, okay, who are the Americans? Because those are the guys that if we do want to bring over or acquire, they don't cost us anything is in terms of money and they don't cost us anything in terms of an import slot. So those are the guys we're going to look at first. Explain the money part. So the money part it would be is if we acquire a player that would be an import, let's just use uh, Swedish, uh, the Swedish Hockey League, for an example. If we were to, or not the SHL, but the, the Swedish Hockey player out there, 
if we were to bring him in to our program, we would have to pay Swedish hockey. I'm not sure what their what their Swedish hockey federation. Yeah, yeah, the federation. We'd have to pay them that transaction fee, which is just right now about fifteen hundred bucks for for Swedish. Yeah, Swedish players, Finnish players, the European uh, uh, nations for the most part are fifteen hundred dollars. Now, Canada, if we were to take a player from that league, that affiliation between the U.S. and Canada would be four grand. So, you know, and again, they're going to take on a spot. So there's two things that a program has to do. They have to pay for a player and they also are taking up one of the four slots that they have that they can, you know, have one of these players in. So when we are looking at players that would be considered an import, they have to be difference makers on our team because, in order to take over a slot and for us to pay for that player, we want to make sure that they're in the lineup, they're contributing, you know, they're, they're filling a role that is probably if you're a forward, a top six, if you're a D, you know, at, at least a top four pair, or if you're a goaltender, you know, you're, you're one of the, you're at least in the running for starting uh, the position. What about if you are, cause you got some players that just doesn't pan out and you now want to trade them or they're a prospect and you trade them either as a, as a draft pick or something else. If you're an import and you trade them, does that mean the same thing for the other team? They would now take up an import spot when they are traded to them. Yes. They would then take over that team's import spot. So if they only had three and then they make a trade for another Swedish player, then that player would take that fourth slot. So that they, makes that that makes that person less attractive in a trade situation. It could if they already have four imports and they acquire another, you know, import status player, then one of those other three guys are either on their way out or somewhere else because, you know, you can only have four. Yeah. But the only caveat to that is that team that is acquiring that player won't have to pay that transaction fee to you know, Swedish hockey federation because it had already been paid by the team that acquired them first. Sometimes in that deal though, the team that paid it at, at front during the trade will say, okay, now you owe us for that fee. And then there's a, you know, an agreement between those two teams. So it does get a little bit tricky when it comes to that because there is money and then there's the actual slot, but you know, it's, it's uh it's set up that way for a reason and the ushl is a little bit different where they have they have four slots as well but if you have a canadian player you can go up to six so it changes it a little bit from what they're able to do than the north american league all right what about the age so how do you feel about swedish players coming over let's talk about them specifically here since this is what the, the podcast is, but I'm sure it applies. So the 05 player, meaning the young younger of the 05 or 06 import guy versus coming over, I'm now an 03 coming over, meaning I'm only going to have one year. So how right. do you see that? And is that different between different teams? Because you know you're only going to have this guy for a year. It is definitely different between teams. We would probably prefer to have a guy for just one year because, you know, at that point you're taking on an older player that's going to be more battle tested from what they were playing 
against in in Sweden before they came over. And they're most likely going to fill one of the top spots on our team. So in that case, you know, paying the money and and, uh, having a slot get taken of our of our available ones, we're more likely to do that. Uh, The advantage, though, is if you are a younger player and you do have the opportunity to play and you come over and you take on one of those spots, that team's going to have you for multiple years, but only have to pay for you once. So there is some advantages to that. Yeah. You just have to play. That's the important thing. Like you would (laughs) never want to be in and out of the lineup and have a team, you know, kind of you're holding that import spot and you're also, you know, having that organization pay for you to come over. um, And then you're like in and out of the lineup and and that's just not good for your development. So you might as well stay where you're at until you're ready to come over and take a spot and, and excel with it. So last thing I want to focus on here is timing of the year. So if you're recruiting people now, what are the, so think about the Swedish season that is typically going to be over mid-March, right? So that right now they're finishing up either and, and, and they're either going to go, you know, you have three different kind of, you either go into relegation. If you're in the bottom teams, you either a season's over or, you go into playoffs, either upward if you're in J20 region and then you're going to try to go into national, or if you're in national, you may get, you, 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 or or you may go in towards kind of the national championship playoffs. But let's say season's over now and you're in mid-March and you want to come over here and you've had these discussions. Uh, what's the typical path or what's going to be, because you have your pre-draft camps, you have your main camps, which... I think it's important to highlight the main camp because that's right. when the draft picks, tenders, and free agents are going to be coming in. Correct. Yeah, just from a timing standpoint, um, in November of every year, the North American League will release all the tenders that each program gets. And for people that are listening, every team will get 10 tenders that they're they're able to use on players to acquire for the next year a tender is a more coveted option than being drafted. So most likely a team is going to use all 10 of their tenders before the draft. So you can think of the draft as being like the 11th round. So So when's the draft? The draft is in June. I think it's June 14th this this year. I don't have it in front of me, but it's usually mid-June. And then the pre-draft camps, will happen so you uh, an organization cannot run a pre-draft camp until the season has completed and a championship uh, champion has been awarded that's normally like right before june so you have like a three-week window typically to have a pre-draft camp before the draft actually happens once the draft happens you know you select all your players and then come uh, july ish depending on the program you'll have the main camp. And in the main camp, you're going to have all of your tendered players, all of your drafted players, all of the different free agent players that uh, aren't, you know, assets of any other program that we've liked and identified throughout the year, but didn't have assets that we could apply to them. We're bringing all of them into main camp. So there'll be, I don't know, eight to 10 different teams of players. And then as the, the week goes on, it whittles down to four and then two and, you know, then two to one. And and then that team is then going forward to training camp and whatnot. 
So you can, I'm going to use a Jeff Colsonism here. You can reverse engineer to see how many, how many O2s are leaving the roster. Yep. Like, so how, how many people do you have in on, in your null roster in during season? So it starts off where you're a little bit over 25 and then there's a cut down to 23. And then, you know, you're going to pretty much have 23 players all the way through playoffs. Um, so that's like the bulk of our roster is going to be about 23 players. So if you got, so if you pick up elite prospects again, you can see how many spots you're going to looking to fill for next year. Yeah. And you're bringing in, you know, how, so you said eight to 10 teams of 15 players each. Yep. That's Two a lot of players on each team and about, you know, 15 to 17 skaters on, on each of those teams. So to yeah, fill maybe to maybe fill eight spots. Well, to give you an example, we had what did we have? We lost eleven players from last year's team and had to bring in a full new, you know, pretty much a full new team this this current year. So that's a lot of. We don't want that to happen, but it just was kind of how it worked out to have that many kids aging out in the same year. But a lot of teams are similar to that. If they're really gearing up to win and it's like, this is our year, this is our year, they're going to have an older roster. That's just what wins in the end. So, but you've already, so if if the tenders, when do you say the tenders are, are released? They usually are released November 1st. Okay. So you guys already have your tenders for this upcoming years, which yep. is going to be mainly 04s. Yeah, right. 04, 05, and 04, 05. at a junior player in 03. Yeah, so you you already got your tenders. So yeah. if, if you're an 03 players from Sweden looking to play in the Nall and you're looking for tender, you're not – that ain't happening. <laughs> you got to start reaching out to us because we still have tenders available. But Okay, so, so I'm glad, I'm glad mm-hmm. you brought that up. That's what I was looking for is because not every team fill their tender spots on November 1st. Correct. So Most far of them today, don't. so far today, we've only used three. Yeah, because you're looking, you're still looking, and so until and and of course, the it's not like the draft list that is public. The tender lists are not necessarily publicized. Correct. All right. So between now and the draft, you're looking to fill that tender spot. Those tender to to, to sign those. Correct. Yep. So what's the tool that you can use then is certainly the pre-draft camp, but what's more likely is you're going to be pulling people up throughout the season of these people that are interested and say, hey, come on over. We want to meet with you. We want to interview you and we want to get our eyes on you. Yeah, we'll have players throughout the year. I would say almost every week we've got different players that come down to, to Dallas and practice with our team. And that gives not only our staff a really good idea of how they already are fitting in with the current team, but it gives the player a chance to see how the coach functions, to see if they like, you know, his style and the the building and the area and all that stuff. So it's kind of working in both ways where the team is identifying, okay, is this a player that fits what we're looking for? And then the kid can actually say, I've been here, I've seen it this is where I want to play. And that's normally where it comes together and works out perfectly. Someone in Sweden though, we would not expect you to have to pay for flights and everything to come over to come down and practice. So we completely understand that. So we're not thinking like, 
you know, hey, you, you're, you know, if you don't do this, we're not considering you. We understand that's a, it's a lot different than getting in the car and driving a couple hours or, you know, taking an hour flight where you need to be. Uh, so in that case, it's more, we really got to understand, you know, what league you're in, the ability of what you can do. Maybe some of your coaches we can connect with. Uh, we have relationships with other people in Sweden that we can kind of do our reference checks on as well, but you've got to reach out to us. That's the most important part in this whole thing. Whether you have an advisor or you're just doing it yourself, you've got to reach out to us because we won't know who of all of these Swedish players is actually interested in coming over. Yeah. And I think that, and ultimately then it's going to be, if you can't come during the spring when your season's over, you know, your shot's going to be as a, being a free agent at the, cause you're not going to tender somebody unless you know, there's, they're at, you know, slam dunk that now they're coming. You may right. offer a tender, sign that tender. Great. But you're probably not going to, you, you probably going to want to look at that person in person and meet that person before you offer a tender. I mean, ideally, yes. But, yeah. you know, when you look at our current roster, uh, William Graham, who's one of our goaltenders, he's a stud. Um, he came over this year. He ended up getting a Division One scholarship to the University of Wisconsin, which is a, it's a, big, a big deal, big time school. Um, we never had him over to skate for us before we knew that we wanted him. And it yeah. started with him on his own sending us that he's interested uh, you know, we've had a track record of Swedish goaltenders coming over, whether it's for one season or two, getting really good division one opportunities, you know, Ludwig Pearson, who's at, you know, Miami of Ohio, you know, there's, there's been a track record. So he did his homework and said, I've noticed you've done this with goaltenders and I'm very much interested. And then once we started connecting with him, he would send us weekly texts of him, like, at his goalie training or, you know, doing like the, um, the eye like laser thing where you're like tracking it, just things like that, just to keep us interested in him and to know he's putting in the work Yeah, and it was great. He did a great and then, job. And then, and then you probably kept a look at his instat to see what do we see? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It's all got to fit. We saw yeah. the ability and it's like, okay, this, this, this is a good player. And then all the other stuff he was doing, it's like, this kid wants to be a Brahma and but 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 if you don't have so let's say if you haven't got a tender, there's still a shot that you can make the roster as a free agent at the at the main camp. Yep. Right. Every year we have at least five players that we didn't draft, we didn't tender, that end up making our roster and are like impact players for us. Yeah. You know, there's there's a defenseman on our roster now by the last name of Aturi. He played in the Philadelphia area. You know, we didn't have him in any sense like we didn't talk to him throughout the year you know we didn't even really it's not that we didn't know him we knew him but he came to our our main camp and we're like wow this kid really has you know a lot of the intangibles we're looking for and he can make plays so he continued to the training camp and it's like he just keeps making the right plays and he's picking up the systems and you know that's the next step like some of these kids have a ton of talent but they can't think and play necessarily at the same time and play their position. So sometimes guys start falling down the, the depth chart and then other guys jump because they're able to pick that up because honestly, junior hockey is a completely different game than midget hockey. And yeah. in some cases, the players coming from Sweden, they understand the more sophistication of hockey and how it's played 
better than some of the Americans who don't really watch the sport. They watch highlights and maybe they didn't get the best coaching growing up uh, from an X's and O's standpoint. And the guys, you know, that have been playing more like in pro systems, you know, that filter down to the junior leagues that they're in, uh, they get it more and they end up, you know, passing guys up on the roster that may have been a tender and, and we thought highly of, and you know what, we just, it's not that we made a mistake, but there's other players that just pass them up. Yeah. Well, Mike, I think we packed in a college course here of how do you make it into the NHL NAHL, but thank you. Um, we're going to wrap it up here. If someone wants to now the plug here for, I, I, I want you to go to junior hockey discussion, uh, Junior Junior Hockey Advisor discussion page, and and go in and listen to you and 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 Colson hamming out a little bit. You guys <laughs> do it once a week, but but if you just look at if you Google that or or YouTube uh, search it, you'll find it. But if they want to get in touch with you specifically, what's yeah. the best way to reach it? For me, Twitter is probably the best source. I don't necessarily use my Facebook page all that much anymore. So Twitter, my my at is at Coach Bloom, and it's B L O O M E. Um, that's where you can kind of, you know, see different stuff or communicate back and forth with me. We also have, uh, the junior hockey live, which, you know, Jeff and I do. And, uh, you, there's a junior hockey live page on Twitter that you can go and find. And then there's also the YouTube page. So, you know, anyone who wants to have discussions, or whatever, I'm an open book, um, you know, fire a couple, you know, DMS my way or whatnot, and, and I'll be glad to help. You know, Jacob, if you ever want me to to come back on and do a follow up, uh, we'll do that. More than glad. And of course, if you're listening, use the hashtag uh, Biz20 promo code here, and uh, and and you get uh, you you get fast track to the top of the list. So instead of Biz20, it's it's uh, Swedish Junior Hockey 20 is the promo code for. I'm just kidding, but uh, I was going to say, man, you got it set <laughs> up. I like it. <laughs> oh no, it's uh, it's great to have you on, and uh, and I think this is really good, really educational for those that are that are looking for it. So we'll wrap it up here, Mike. Sounds good. I appreciate your time, and uh, you know we'll talk soon. <laughs>